This is true news, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. The ruling elites of Western nations are insanely waging two wars in 2022. One war is against Russia. The other war is against half of the citizens of those Western nations. It's getting so heated that former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev again quoted Holy Scriptures today from the apocalypse to emphasize what will happen to Western nations if they persist in arming Ukraine with deadly weapons. Let's start with a Wall Street Journal article today about Ukraine's President Zelensky begging for more weapons from Western nations. And so here is the headline, Ukraine seeks more arms, closer ties to West after taking ground from Russia. Now, Doc, uh, you've already seen these headlines, and you know the, the progression that we're going to follow yes. here today. Uh, we told you yesterday that something, something changed over the weekend. The landscape involving that war between Ukraine and Russia, the landscape uh, became more dark and ominous over the weekend. Ukraine launched a counteroffensive that some people say was the biggest European counteroffensive operation since World War II. If you believe um, the Western press, the, the Russians uh, retreated, they fled, and, and the Ukrainian army seized control of a vast portion of Ukrainian territory. Now, this story from the Wall Street Journal said that today Ukraine is demanding more weapons from Western countries, saying, basically, we've got the Russians on the run. Give us more tanks. Give us more missiles. Give us more uh, artillery shells. Give us more um, uh, launchers. Give us heavy artillery, and we'll finish off the Russians. So uh, Doc is going to read a, a, a few paragraphs from this Wall Street Journal article. Ukrainian forces look to maximize gains from a lightning-quick offensive in the country's northeastern Kharkiv region, making a diplomatic push for more weapons and deeper security ties with Western allies. A top aide to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky and Anders Fogg Rasmussen, former chief of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, said Tuesday they were drafting a proposal to shore up ties between Kiev and its Western allies with the aim of guaranteeing the flow of weapons, intelligence, financial aid, and training to the country. Now, this document, they said, won't include a commitment similar to Article 5 of the NATO alliance, which requires allies to intervene militarily if a member is attacked. Instead, the official said the document is modeled on guarantees between the U.S. and Israel, which ensures the flow of support is steady and unwavering. Isn't that interesting, Doc? Yes. This, this uh, security document that the West is drawing up right now is based on a template of a document that the U.S. has with Israel. Yes. So who's calling the shots? Who's well, running the show? You could make the inference there, Rick, that Israel could be involved in that. And Zelensky said, he said, 
Ukraine is going to become big Israel. Big Israel. Right. Okay. I just today reviewed those articles that we we went over many months ago at the beginning of this year that uh, 10 years ago, uh, Kissinger said in 10 years there will be no Israel. And then there were other articles from that time period that said that Israel would would be disbanded and moved to Ukraine. You're correct. Yes. Um, I, it was interesting. I came across those articles today and refreshed my memory about it. Now, the next one, this is a this is an important article. I want you to see this is from The New York Times today. The critical moment behind Ukraine's rapid advance is referring to this counteroffensive that took place over the weekend. Um, we, we've got um, three quotes from it, and you will clearly see that the United States and Great Britain were the primary drivers of this counteroffensive. As Rick was saying, the strategy behind Ukraine's rapid military gains in recent days actually began to take shape months ago during a series of intense conversations between Ukrainian and U.S. officials about the way forward in the war against Russia, according to American officials. The counteroffensive revised this summer from its original form after urgent discussions between senior U.S. and Ukrainian officials has succeeded beyond most predictions. Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, and uh, Andrian Yermak, a top advisor to Mr. Zelensky, spoke multiple times about the planning for the counteroffensive, according to senior administration official. General Mark A. Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and senior Ukrainian military leaders, regularly discussed intelligence and military support. And in Kiev, Ukrainian and British military officials continued working together while the new American defense attache, Brigadier General Gary Carman, began having daily sessions with Ukraine's top officers. Right there in that story, Rick, it says that British military officials are in Kiev. Yes, that's what it says. So, and uh, Mark Milley, General Mark Milley, was basically supervising the operation that went down this weekend. Yes. So uh, time was of the essence, U.S. and Ukrainian officials believed, to mount an effective counterattack the Ukrainians needed to move before the first snow when President Vladimir Putin of Russia would be able to use his control of gas supplies to pressure Europe. Well, that's the reason why I'm thinking that this counteroffensive, Rick, will be very short-lived because there will be pressure on the European countries yes. because of it's going to be a cold winter this yes. winter in Europe. So. Um, any uh, other thoughts on this particular uh, uh, article? And well, the main thing that I wanted our audience to see is that the New York Times is bragging today that the United States and Great Britain organized the Ukrainian military offensive that took place over the weekend. And the U.S. is providing significant intelligence and data to Ukraine. Uh, the U.K. has troops on the ground in Kiev. And the leadership is coming out of the highest level of the Pentagon, right. General Mark Milley. Uh, so where does that go? It means that in the Kremlin and in the Russian Defense Ministry, they are taking into account that decisions are being made in Washington, D.C. and in London that are resulting in the death of thousands of Russian soldiers. And they have said repeatedly throughout 2022, we will strike the decision-making centers. And that's not just Kiev. 
Yes. That's London and Washington and Paris and Berlin and Brussels. And so we're going to walk you through this today to show you how um, how significantly the situation has deteriorated since last Friday when we were here. Um, and and uh, because this offensive took took place over the weekend and apparently caught the Russians by surprise, unless unless the Russians are playing rope-a-dope and they want the West to believe that they were chased out. Um, as Doc said yesterday, some people believe that they're actually, uh, the Russians are actually, uh, this is part of their strategy to suck the Ukrainian army into a, um, uh, a kill zone. Right. That they will be uh, they will be hit later. We don't know. We don't know. All I know is what the reports are coming out today in the New York Times and other Western media bragging that it was the United States and Great Britain that advised the Ukrainian military how to carry out this attack against the Russians. What does that mean to us? There's going to be payback. That's what it means. There's going to be payback from Russia to the United States and Great Britain. Now, the next one, um, did we, do, did we uh, go through the entire, we went through it, okay. Yes. Uh, so this is uh, Navasti. Zelensky's office published a draft of security guarantees for Ukraine. So this came out today, which obviously was prepared long before this military offensive. Yes. So they knew we're going to carry out this military offensive. Then we're going to publish our demands. And that's what this is. It's a list of demands. Yes. And so uh, we'll share some of those demands here with, with you. Vladimir Zelensky's office published on its website a draft of Ukraine's security demands. I mean guarantees. Kiev proposes to conclude an appropriate agreement or set of bilateral agreements. Now look at the players that are going to be involved in this uh, set of agreements. The United States, Great Britain, Canada, Poland, Italy, Germany, France, Turkey, Australia, as well as the countries of northern, central, eastern Europe, and the Baltic states are named as guarantors. So if they're named as guarantors, what does that mean, Doc? That means they have to back up the agreement. There's a, yeah, they're going to have to enforce the agreement. With, with guns. Yes. With bullets. With troops. With blood. With blood. Yes. It's, so it's backed by blood. That's what Zelensky's asking for, a guarantee backed by blood. So there's one aspect of the agreement there, but there's another agreement that's run in parallel with it. In addition, uh, uh, additional regional security agreements in the Black Sea with Turkey, Bulgaria, and Romania are allowed. And we're also talking about the participation of Japan and South Korea, which can support non-military guarantees in the form of sanctions. Now, this agreement is planned to include preventive measures of a military, financial, infrastructural, technical, information nature. The guarantors must accept them without delay in case of encroachment on the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine. Preventive measures. Right. That sounds like first strike. And also sounds like there has to be actual troops of these nations in Ukraine. Mm. Doesn't that sound like it yes. to you? So, uh, foreign investment in the uh, military-industrial base of Kiev, a large-scale transfer of weapons, intelligence support, and the supply of modern air and missile defense systems are also expected. In addition, Ukraine plans to conduct exercises with the involvement 
of instructors and advisors from EU and NATO countries. Now, the head of Zelensky's office, Andrea Yermak, stressed that a possible agreement does not cancel the course towards joining NATO, because up to this point, they haven't said that they will join NATO in these agreements. According to him, these guarantees are a way to ensure security until this entry takes place. Now, Kiev introduced a clause on anti-Russian sanctions into the draft. It provides that the restrictions will not be lifted, including until Moscow compensates for the damage. So we're talking about reparations to Mm -hmm. Ukraine. In addition, we're talking about the adoption by the guarantors of measures aimed at confiscating the assets of Russia and its citizens. Yes. And any decision to lift sanctions must be made in close coordination with Ukraine, the document emphasizes. Okay, leave that up there. So Zelensky is demanding that the West guarantee measures to confiscate the private property of Russia, the country. Yes. And its citizens. Right. So we can basically... What uh, Zelensky is saying here, we need you to rob Russia and any Russian in the world, basically. And we'll split it. Right. Man, bank robbery is a great gig if you can get away with it, right? Uh, let's go back to number 12. I saw uh, something in there. Um, at, the, at the last sentence, in addition, Ukraine plans to conduct exercises with the involvement of instructors and advisors from the European Union and NATO countries. Okay, so that means NATO troops in, in Ukraine on military bases training the Ukrainian army how to fight the Russians. And how do you think Russia's going to feel about that, Rick? Well, we're about to find out. So. Because... They told us today, and it, it, it is very obvious where they're going with this. So, TASS News Agency said uh, Medvedev, that's the former president of, of Russia, Medvedev called the Kiev project of security guarantees a prologue to the Third World War. In other words, the opening, these uh, Zelensky demands... This is the opening act to the Third World War. That's from the Russian perspective. Yes. So when they're responding to the Zelensky document that we were just talking about here moments ago, and, and basically Mr. Medvedev is saying, this is, all right, you guys have started World War III here. Oh, you yeah. realize and, that, And right? he said it in a telegram post today, and I, I translated it from Russian to uh, English, and, uh, you know, I, I discovered that uh, Russian mojis mean the same thing in, <laughs> they in English. Okay. So let's read this, Doc. So the Kiev Kamarela gave birth to the project of security guarantees, which, in fact, are a prologue to the Third World War. This is Dmitry Medvedev saying this. Of course, no one will give any guarantees to Ukrainian Nazis. This is almost the same as applying Article 5 of the NATO Treaty to Ukraine. For NATO, it's the same crap, only side view, so it's scary. Our sworn friends, Western chiefs of various calibers to whom this hysterical proclamation is addressed, must finally understand one simple thing. It directly concerns NATO's hybrid war with Russia. If these fools continue the unrestrained pumping of the Kiev regime, with the most dangerous types of weapons, 
then sooner or later the military campaign will move to another level. It will no longer have visible boundaries and the potential predictability of the parties to the conflict, and it will follow its own military scenario involving new actors. And it's always been that way. Okay, let's, leave, let's go back. Let's go back to this. Okay, so let's take a look at this in the second paragraph. Uh, he refers to the Western countries. He says, our sworn friends. Uh, and sarcastically, Medvedev says, Western chiefs of various calibers uh, to whom this hysterical proclamation is addressed. Uh, they need to understand one thing. It directly concerns NATO's war with Russia. Not Ukraine's war. Yes. NATO's war with Russia. And he said, if these fools, and he's talking about Biden and was Boris Johnson and now yeah, Liz, Liz Truss, Truss and, uh, and it would be King Charles and uh, um, Schultz of Germany Schultz and, and Macron, Macron of France. He, if these fools continue with an unrestrained pumping of the most dangerous weapons to the Ukrainian army. Sooner or later, the Russian military, what they call special operation, right. will move to another level. It's war. Yes. That is outright declaration of war. It will no longer have visible boundaries. Meaning... The fighting will not be contained inside Ukraine. It'll involve wherever the fight takes them. And the potential predictability of the parties to the conflict, and it will follow its own military scenario involving new actors. New actors, okay, on both sides. That means China, Iran, Belarus, North Korea, are all going to come into this war. That's what he's saying, Doc. New actors. Now, uh, Mr. Medvedev went on in his Telegram post. He said, the Western countries will not be able to sit in their clean houses and apartments laughing at how they carefully weaken Russia by proxy. Everything is flooding around them. Their people are fully grieving. They will literally burn the earth and melt concrete. This is... Folks, please ponder what he just said. The Western leaders, their idiotic foreign policy will result in the burning of the earth and the melting of concrete. Yes. And he goes on to say, we're going to get a lot of it, too. In other words... You know, uh, Russia is not going into this blindly, thinking that they know they're going to lose a lot of people right. and infrastructure. Everybody's going to be really, really bad. After all, it is said, and here he quotes Revelation chapter 9, verse 18. From these three plagues, from the fire, smoke, and sulfur coming out of their mouths, a third of the people died. But for now, narrow-minded politicians and their obtuse think tanks thoughtfully spinning a glass of wine in their hands, speculate about how they can deal with us without entering into a direct war. Dull idiots with a classical education. Well, Mr. Medvedev and a lot of the leadership in Russia is looking at this with a whole different set of eyes. Yes. And you have the former president of Russia. Uh, I was joking around with you, uh, 
uh, earlier when we were preparing for today's Godcast, Mr. Medvedev quotes the Bible so much, he ought to just come out with a, a prophecy book or a prophecy Bible. Because he uh, it seems like every but time he, could, he, he, would, he wouldn't be able to get it on Christian TV, Doc. No, not at all. In fact, uh, that passage, let's look at that whole passage there from Revelation chapter 9. It says, And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The army of horsemen numbered 200 million. I heard their number. Thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. And that's... Mr. Medvedev quoting Revelation chapter 9 there. This is a pretty intense scenario. Um, Can you imagine um, Joe Biden quoting the book of the Revelation about this war? And if he was saying that, let's say, saying that about Russia, mm-hmm. all right, uh, you, we're going to war here. Let me quote the Bible and tell you yeah. we're ready to see a third of mankind die, just like the Bible talks about. Yes. What would we be thinking about Joe Biden? That he knows scripture and he knows prophecy and he knows that we're at the end of time. I think Medvedev knows we're at the end of time. The Russians know it. And to understand Mr. Medvedev's, uh, you know, uh, posture on this and all of Russia's posture, they understand that this is a fight for their survival. I'm, I'm not cheering it. I'm not for it. But for them... They understand it's live or die with this. That's their perspective. They say if there's no Russia in the world, then why should the world exist? We talked about that in the past. So from their perspective, they're ready, As uh, if you say in the poker parlance, they're ready to go all in. Mm -hmm. Is the West ready to go all in? Are they willing to take that bet to lose Brussels, to lose London, to lose D.C., to lose New York? Are we really ready to go all in? I believe that their arrogance and pride will lead them in like a hook in the jaw. That's what I think, Doc. The West is full pride and arrogance. And, and it will be like a hook in their jaw. And it will pull them into this war. Right. And they don't expect Russia to do it, but the Russians are going to do it. Um, I believe their leadership. We don't know what's going on in the most private councils. Uh, we have no idea uh, what the church leaders of the Church of the, the, the Russian Orthodox Church. They could be holding meetings in the in the Kremlin. Advising Putin and and General Shugu and others, we're at the end of time. We're up against the Antichrist. They could be thinking like that. We're up against the decadent West. Yes. They are a virus. The, yes. The West is a virus that has to be eliminated. I mean, that's from their perspective, that's their point of view. Yes. They could be looking at us as the, the king of the north and that's so. attacking and invading countries and, and uh, waging war against the saints. I'm just saying from their perspective, they may be driven 
with religious zeal that they have to fight this war because it is God's people fighting Satan's people and they see us as Satan's people and we give them plenty of evidence that they're right. Yes, we do. And anybody looks at American culture right now, it's it's decadent, it's evil, it's wicked, it's debased, it's it's disgusting. I mean, here you have uh, Biden's monkeypox czar, and he's a Satanist. He's got a he's got a pen, he's got a pentagram tattooed on his chest, not just a little one, a big one. An advisor to the president of the United States is a Satanist, a gay homosexual Satanist. That's who's advising Joe Biden. They're not having prayer meetings to Jesus Christ in the White House. No, they're sitting around a pentagram burning candles and so, or maybe burning other things too. So, so we're we're we're, we're marching into World War Three, and uh, our, the pride and arrogance of America and Western Europe is deceiving them into thinking this is going to be easy. They're going to take out Russia. Russia is going to fall. It's not going to come out that way, Doc. No. Medvedev told us today, one-third of the human race is going to die. I mean, this is... The 24 years I've done this, I've never seen anything like this. Never, ever have I seen anything like this. NATO is determined to take Russia out one way or the other. Yes. Whether it's by... You know, they thought they could take it down, take Russia down economically, and yet... That was the still, plan. Re, still remains. That was the plan. The plan was to bleed them out. To get the, the Russian economy to collapse. It's right. actually made them stronger. And it's made the West weaker. As we're going to see, uh, uh, Europe is uh, going to be a basket case this, this uh, winter. And the, uh, the U.S. economy is not doing much uh, better today. Right. As we're going to see about the, uh, what happened in the stock market today. One little clue about World War III. I found this uh, story that a, uh, this is Daily Mail in London. Uh, U.S. Air Force bomber, uh, just happens to be a B-52, uh, took off from a uh, Royal Air Force, uh, Fairford base in Great Britain before circling in a constant loop after issuing an emergency squawk code. So, uh, as Rick was saying, a nuclear-capable V-52 bomber was roaming the skies over Britain after emitting a, an emergency signal, or squawk. The U.S. Air Force jet-coded Spicy-22 took off from Royal Air Force Base Fairford in Gloucestershire earlier today before it began to circle in a constant loop after issuing an emergency squawk 7700 code thought to be because one of the bomber's engines had failed. And so we have a little bit of video of this B-52 circling, uh, you know, over uh, the English countryside here. Uh, You know, these B-52s, Rick, uh, a lot of them are, it's hard to believe, 40, 50 years old. I know. These are old aircraft, and yet they still, uh, you know, strike fear into people and everything. So so. you think a call went into King Charles III? your Majesty, we have a problem happening here today. Well, imagine this if it was actually carrying nuclear weapons and it did have an engine failure. Well, that's where uh, that's what I'm saying. 
So things like this are things that happen when you uh, prepare for war. Accidents happen. A gun goes off, an artillery shell hits someplace that's not supposed to hit, and then suddenly... World War III is fully ablaze at that point. That's right. So, Doc, uh, one story I found in a Russian uh, news article today is that uh, um, the Russian military says that uh, the Ukrainian army is is amassing for some type of assault on the nuclear power plant. Yes, uh, this is from uh, Izvestia. Uh, Along the LBS and Zaporizhia, a concentration of military equipment of the armed forces of Ukraine was noticed. It says that the uh, concentration of military equipment of Ukrainian troops is recorded along the entire line of contact in the Zaporizhia region. That's where the nuclear power plant is. In several directions, the movement of pairs of M777 guns and uh, vehicles and multiple uh, launch rocket systems was noticed. This was announced on Tuesday by Vladimir Rogov, a member of the main council of the Military Civilian Administration of the Zaporizhia region. So what we're basically seeing now is uh, you have uh, howitzers. Those are the M777s and the uh, multiple launch rocket systems provided by the West, specifically the U.S. And some of those, Rick, were the uh, (coughs) equipment that Germany had sent earlier. Mm -hmm. And so when we were talking about Germany yesterday, they had crossed the red line. Even though it was U.S. equipment, it was U.S. equipment that uh, the United States given to Germany. Mm -hmm. And Germany sent that uh, to Ukraine. And so, um, but the fact of the matter is they are lining up around the nuclear power plant now. Once again, you start shelling a nuclear power plant. Either side, if there could be an accident, there could be something that happens. I, I think they're waiting for it. They want it yes. to happen Is so it? they can invoke Article 5 right. of the NATO agreement Ukraine, and get everybody involved. Ukraine wants that power plant to explode. Yes. They'll sacrifice their own people to get World War III up and going because the radiation will spread across Europe and that will be declared an act of war and. They'll demand that Article 5 of the NATO treaty be um, activated, and then you have to have NATO troops inside Ukraine fighting the Russians. Right. Now, something I, I noticed today, Doc. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this article. Yeah, and, it, and it's not just one. I found, I found a, a variety of similar articles in different Russian newspapers today. I'll show you one of them here. Uh, Dmitry Peskov, he's the press secretary at the Kremlin for Vladimir Putin. Uh, By the way, he speaks uh, perfect English. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard him speak English, but he's he's well-spoken in English. Uh, We should get him for an interview. Okay. Okay. (laughs) He said, mobilization is not considered. Talking about... Mobilization of the Russian army. Right, because I guess there were some uh, political leaders that had mentioned that we should ramp up, we should go full force. Uh, but he says at the moment this is out of the question. So from Commerson, we have this. Presidential Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov commented on the words of the United Russia Deputy Mikhail Shuramet about the need for full mobilization. Now, according to the Kremlin spokesman, 
This option is not being considered. At the moment, no, this is out of the question, Mr. Peskov said, answering a question about the likelihood of general or even partial mobilization. Now, the day before, on uh, this was just yesterday, uh, State Duma Deputy Mikhail Sheremet, who is a member of the Security Committee, said that the goals of the military operation could not be achieved without the announcement of a general mobilization. He said, without full mobilization, transfer to a military footing, including the economy, we will not achieve the proper results. Today, society should be consolidated as much as possible and purposeful for victory, the deputy said. Now, on Monday, Mr. Peskov refused to answer the question about possible mobilization in the country, forwarding it to the Ministry of Defense. The military department did not comment on the situation. Now, at the same time, deputies from the State Duma Defense Committee proposed changing the federal law on mobilization. According to the updated bill, citizens with many children will have the opportunity to enter the military reserve. So mobilization means military draft, right. calling up the troops, full mobilization of the Russian armed forces. That's what's being discussed now. Uh, you know, I, I know some of our True News audience, you, you wonder, what, why is Rick and Doc talk? Why do you spend so much time this year? I mean, this is September, and the whole year you've been talking about Russia and Ukraine. There are other topics. Well, I can't think of anything bigger than World War III. World War III has already started. I'm not waiting for it to start. I'm waiting for it to end. <laughs> hey, we're in it. The ending is not going to be nice. But we are in World War III right now. And I'm, I'm spending this time going line by line through these Russian articles that we translate into English to show you how the world is stepping day by day deeper and deeper into this, this sinkhole that is going to result in a horrible world war if, if somebody does not step in and stop these madmen from the destruction of the human race. And also because there's nobody else talking about it. Yes. There's just nobody. There's nobody in the United States talking about World War III. I just find it so odd. We get the whole lane to ourselves. Nobody wants to talk about it. Right. Either they don't see it or they think this is boring. Or they're distracting us with other things. Yes. Put a shiny object in front of you so you'll see something else. Okay, I want, so now, I, I okay, want to ask you about oh. the, this particular article, mm -hmm. though, Rick, is that are we getting mixed signals within the Russian government here? Uh, is something going on that maybe I'm not fully understanding? Because it seems like you have portions of the Russian government that are like, let's do this. Let's yes. activate everything. And then Mr. Preskov says, you know what? We're, we're not even considering mobilization at this let's time. Let's read the next one, and then I'll answer that question. Okay. Okay, so this is another one from Commerçant, which is a big newspaper. Like It's like the... Washington Post and New York Times of Russia. Uh, so they're, uh, the leader of the Communist Party is demanding that Russia mobilize its military forces and resources. So Communist Party leader Gennady uh, Zayuganov, uh, before the plenary session of the State Duma, announced the need to mobilize forces and resources in Russia. 
During his speech in the State Duma, he noted that the military political operation had grown into a full-fledged war, which the United States and NATO declared to Russia. He went on to say, war and special operation are fundamentally different. You can stop the special operation. You cannot stop the war, even if you want to. War has two outcomes, victory or defeat. The issue of victory in, Do in the Donbas is the issue of our historical survival. Everyone in this country should realistically assess what is happening, Mr. Ziyaganov said. Now, before the start of the plenary session of the State Duma, the leader of the Communist Party spoke to journalists and announced the need to mobilize resources. Any war requires a response. First of all, maximum mobilization of forces and resources is required. We need to unite society and clearly define the main priorities, uh, Mr. Ziyaganov said. So once again... Now, of course, this is the Communist Party in mm -hmm. Russia. They're all in for full mobilization and everything. Yes. And then we have Mr. Peskov's statement. We're not even considering that right now. Right. Um, I think they should be considering it, shouldn't they? I think they are. I think they need an event. And it could be, it could be the, the power plant. They need an event. Doc, what I expect to come out of Russia soon, out of the Russian Duma, I believe Putin is going to address the Duma, which is their parliament, their Congress, and he is going to ask them to formally declare war against Ukraine. Because they haven't done that yet. It's, it's not still war a, yet. a special military operation. That's the right term now. that they use. And, you, and, and they make it very clear on that, right? Yes. And you have observed over the years that the Russians are very meticulous yes. in uh, following rules. Right. So in, in whatever uh, global international law book that all these, these guys read, there, there must be some term, special military operation, and there must be rules, and they're staying within the rules. But I think they're moving to the place of declaring war. A declaration of war has its own set of rules. And I think the Russians are going to declare war on Ukraine. And I think they're going to declare war on NATO. But it's going to start with a declaration of war against Ukraine. And they're not... It, if this uh, counteroffensive caught the Russians by surprise, because the alternative is the Russians are playing... Uh, 40 chess with NATO and, and right. trapping them. But if it did catch them by surprise, Putin is not going to go down in history as the Russian president who was defeated. By Ukraine. By Ukraine. Not going to happen. Okay. I think they will declare war. Zelensky today published his demands. Now, these were demands to the West, not to Russia. Yes. These were demands. Isn't he a bossy guy? He is. Do you, do you notice how many demands this guy has? He, he goes all over the world. He's flying around the world. He's zooming on the Internet. He's showing up here and there, and he's got demands. Do this or that, you know. But these are his demands to the West. And Medvedev said... This is a document of fools. 
we'll melt concrete before we let this happen. Right. So, I think the Russians are going to counter with their demands. And their demand is going to be simple. Total surrender. Total surrender. Zelensky, his deputy prime minister, his military leaders, the Nazis in the Ukrainian army, they will, I think the Russians are going to give them a time, whether it's 24 hours or 48, 72 hours, to flee the country. And I think, I think the Russians are going to say, if you do not, uh, if you do not accept our surrender terms, we are going to utterly destroy Kiev. Right. And we're going to end the war in one hour. There will not be any Ukraine left. It'll be the whole enchilada, so It's going to be. And I really think that's where this is going. But Putin, just like the West, uh, you know how the West will need a... A false flag. They need right. an event. They need something to happen. Right. To, to do what? To convince the Russian people we do have to declare war. Right. And that makes sense, Rick, now, when you, the way you lay it out there, because I've noticed over the past few days, the talking heads on Russian TV, they're saying, you know, what, what's going on in Ukraine? We need to ramp things up. Yes. We need to do more. Yes. We need to win this war. Now you're hearing it from the Duma. That'd be like the Congress here. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. it's one thing for Joe Biden to go and shoot somebody, but it's another thing when Congress says, "Let's declare war," and that'd be the same thing in and Russia. make it legal. That's right. So, and it would be from the people that way. And then it's a patriotic thing. That's right. So, but they so, need an event. And so the reason why Peskov would say, listen, let's, you know, uh, let's don't talk about mobilization and everything. But then the people themselves, the, the uh, mm-hmm. members of the Duma are saying, wait a minute, we do need to do yes. this. Uh, and they uh, need a Pearl Harbor. Right. They, they need, the Russians need some big event that shocks the Russian people. And then it's easy to to rally the public into a great patriotic war, just like the West does to, the, to their citizens. Yes. Okay? They the use the propaganda. Thing. And so maybe it's the power plant. Maybe it's the Kerch Strait Bridge. I'm telling you, when that, when, if they take down that bridge, Doc, I wouldn't want to be in Ukraine. <laughs> it is not going to be pretty. You know, and, and I've, seen, um, I've seen fundraising you know, nonprofits to get certain groups of people out of Ukraine. And I wonder why these uh, Christian TV networks aren't raising money to get the Christians out of Ukraine. Well, you and I both know yes. the reason. Yes. You, you can raise money one way, but not the other way. Yes. So, in their minds, the Christians can burn up. Uh, look, I, this concern, I mean, I'm very troubled by this, Doc. Uh, I don't understand why uh, any Christians would be remaining in Kiev right now. They should have fled a long time ago. 
This just shows me you can have you can have a war going on, and people, even with the war started, yes, they still don't leave. Yes, I think life is apparently going on as normal. Yes, nightclubs are open in uh, Kiev. Uh, they had a parade this weekend. I mean, is anybody going around going, "Hey, there's a war. We got to get out of here. This is they're really going to blow up this place." Apparently not. People going out drinking, or partying, right? Going to dinner. It's like even when the war starts, people go into denial. They just go deeper into denial. But what I'm saying is, that the Christians that are living in Ukraine, they should have fled a long time ago. We're we've entered the danger stage now. This thing is flashing. It's it's. The red light is flashing. The, the big bomb is about to explode, Doc. And I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. But if there is something like the Kerch Strait Bridge coming down. And remember, the British uh, Breedlove, yes. former commander of NATO, months ago told the, near, uh, told the, uh, the Times of London, I know how to bring that bridge down. Yeah, he's a structural engineer. I'm a structural engineer, and it can be done. And it ought to be done. And we know Britain is involved in advising the Ukrainian army. So if they just had this big offensive, is part two of the offensive the destruction of the bridge? Folks, I'm telling you, when the bridge goes down or the power plant goes up, Baby, it's it is time to get in your bunker because it's going to break loose. It is going to break loose, and I think the Russians will hit Kiev, and the city will disappear. That's what I think is going to happen. They're going to they're going to do to Ukraine what Truman did to Japan. They're going to say, we are not going to sacrifice tens of thousands of Russian soldiers in this war. We're going to take out the Nazi regime. Right. And Truman was considered a hero for ending the war. And Putin and on the will... the basis of saving tens of thousands yes. of American lives. Yes. And Putin will be a hero in Russia for ending the war, even though it meant the destruction of Ukraine. That's where I think this is going. Then the question remains after that. If, if Ukraine is obliterated, will the West continue to push Russia? Rick, I, I think they're all in on pushing Russia. They know they can't deal with Russia and China. And so they've got to eliminate one of them. And they've, they've already played this bet out. They're, they're going to try to mm -hmm. take out Russia and then concentrate their forces after that for the next hundred years against China. But Medvedev said there's going to be new actors, new players. That's right. So There's going to be an alliance of nations that are going to go up against the United States and NATO. Uh, it, it is, this, this may be the biblical war that's in the book of the Revelation, where one-third of the human race dies, which means several billion people. Right. 
And there would be some in the world that would applaud that, that we need a good world war to reduce the population. I'm not a fan of that, but there are a lot of people who want to reduce mm -hmm. the population, and war is a great way to do that. Yes. Now, if you think that Russia would get upset with the Nazis in Ukraine, then imagine if Germany was the leading military power in Europe once again. Do you think they would be a fan of that? So Germany is outlining aim to take up a leading military role in Europe. Well, never waste a good crisis. Right. So Germany, uh, now this is from the Financial Times. Uh, Germany must assume a leading military role in Europe, the country's defense minister has said, underscoring how Russia's war in Ukraine has transformed Berlin's strategic thinking. Christine Lambrecht made her comments as Ukraine pressed on with its counteroffensive in the east of the country, and Russia vowed to continue with the invasion until all its military goals are met. So the war has increased pressure on Germany to step up its contribution to the Western alliance, despite historic reservations overplaying a bigger role after the Second World War. Hmm. You mean World War I and World, World War II? II? Yes. So Lambrecht argued that Berlin was doing so for reasons to do with our size, our geographical location, our economic power, in short, with our heft. And where did she give this speech? Well, and she gave in comments to the German Council on Foreign Relations. So uh, I guess they're franchising now, Rick. Uh, she added, this makes us a leading power, whether we like it or not, in the military sense, too. Now, let's stop just for a moment here. One of the reasons why Germany was divided after World War II was to prevent Germany from uh, being yes. able mm -hmm. to regain that military strength, that, uh, the economic strength that they had leading up to World Wars I and II. Uh, the West agreed to that. The Soviets agreed to that. And they did not want uh, Germany rising up again, right? Mm -hmm. And here we go again. Lambert said the U.S. would remain Europe's main protector, and there could be no substitute for the American nuclear deterrent for the foreseeable future. In other words, the American nuke sitting in Germany. The U.K. and France, both nuclear powers, have been Europe's strongest military forces for more than 70 years. But she argued the rise in tensions between Washington and Beijing over Taiwan and a U.S. pivot to the Asia-Pacific region meant we are called on to do more than before for Europe, she added. Germany is prepared to make a decisive contribution to fair burden sharing. What she really said, Doc, was to Great Britain and France, move over. Germany is back, and we're going to run Europe again. There's a war, and Germany's going to be in the lead. In World War III. Yes, that's exactly what she's saying. Hey, boys, get out of our way. We know how to start a good world war. And we're not going to sit back and let you guys run the show. And we can do it with German efficiency. That's right. So That's right. Hey, let's take a look at the uh, Asian continent and see if they're talking about nuclear war. Well, they are. Yeah. Here's Korean go. times. South Korea warns North Korea's nuclear use would lead to regimes of self-destruction. But let's dig into this article here. South Korea's defense ministry warned Tuesday that North Korea's attempt to use nuclear weapons would lead to its regime's self-destruction, responding to Pyongyang's recent codification of an apparently assertive nuclear policy. In other words, they changed to basically a first-strike policy. Now, Colonel Moon Hong-sik, the ministry's deputy spokesperson, issued the warning after the North promulgated a law on its nuclear policy on Thursday last week 
that hinted at the possibility of the regime launching a preemptive nuclear strike in a contingency. We warned that should North Korea attempt to use nuclear arms, it would face the overwhelming response from the South Korea-U.S. alliance, and its regime would enter a path of self-destruction, uh, Mr. Moon added. Uh, Moon added that the North's nuclear policy would, excuse me, would further strengthen the alliance's capabilities to deter and respond to the security threats, deepen its international isolation, and aggravate the suffering of ordinary North Koreans. In addition, he highlighted the South's firm resolve to push for the North's complete denuclearization and its focus on strengthening the credibility of the U.S.'s extended deterrence to make the North unable to use its nuclear arms. Extended deterrence refers to America's stated commitment to mobilizing the full range of its military capabilities, including nuclear options, to defend its ally. So, Rick, what that is basically saying is that, you know what? We're ready to use nukes, too. Mm -hmm. That's what I heard in that mm -hmm. statement. Because it's a world war. And when China comes into this war with you, involving Ukraine, China, China's going to make its move on Taiwan. North Korea is going to make its move on South Korea. Right. Iran's going to make its move on Israel. This is a war of war. I don't think any of us can comprehend the, the scope of the chaos that's going to be on the planet at one time. It will be like a global bar fight. There will be chairs flying everywhere and beer bottles breaking over heads. It's a global bar fight. It's going to break out worldwide. Just need one punch. That's all they're waiting for. Throw the first punch, and guys, let's start fighting. And all, on every corner of the planet, they're ready with their nukes. Right. They're ready for the fight, and they're just waiting on that first punch. Um, hey, what if I told you that there are Chinese spies working in U.S. social media? Well, that's crazy talk, Rick. I Is mean, a conspiracy theory that, talk? That would be, yeah, that, they, that'd be disinformation. In fact, that might even get you banned from Twitter, right? Well, they got this guy fired. <laughs> that's right. So uh, this is a big story that's been developing over the past uh, several days and weeks. And so this is the story, Daily Mail. There's a Chinese spy at Twitter. Uh, whistleblowing security officer tells Congress he was fired after telling tech giant it had been infiltrated. So he got deplatformed by the platform he was working for. Yes, and his job was security. To keep it secure. That's right. So uh, former security officer at Twitter told senators on Tuesday that he learned a Chinese intelligent agent. Now this is the security officer of Twitter was on the social media company's payroll a week before he was dismissed. Such were the security failings. He said he was not surprised to learn that an agent of the Chinese Ministry of State Security was operating inside Twitter. Okay, so look at this time uh, uh, line here. He, he's a security officer. And we're, we're not talking about you know, security parking guard. lot security. We're talking about for the whole company for the entire Twitter operation. The cyber security chief. He uncovers that there's a Chinese intelligence agent on the payroll of Twitter. He confronts somebody in the company, tells them, "Hey, guess what I 
guess what I've discovered? We, we have a Chinese spy on our payroll. You would think they would say, congratulations, you're doing what we hired you to do. We've got to get this guy out of here. We've got to call the FBI. We've got a Chinese spy. No? Within days? They fired him. They fired him, and the Chinese spy still got his paycheck. So what does that tell you about Twitter? That it's sold to the Chinese. So uh, Now, the article goes on to uh, quote uh, Mr. Peter Zadko. He said, I had been told that the corporate security physical security team had been contacted and told that there was at least one agent, more, maybe more, Rick, of the MSS, which is one of China's intelligence services, on the payroll inside Twitter. He told a hearing of the Senate Judiciary, uh, Judicial Committee, while it was disturbing to hear, I and many others recognizing the state of the environment at Twitter were really thinking if you are not placing foreign agents inside Twitter, because it's very difficult to detect them, it is very valuable to a foreign agent to be inside there. As a foreign intelligence company, you're most likely not doing your job. <laughs> this confirms what we speculated for years. That the social media companies in America secretly have Chinese intelligence agents working for them. And that when people like me get deplatformed. Yes. It's really done by communists, Chinese communist agents inside YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth. Well, that sounded crazy when we said it two or three years ago, didn't it? Oh, that's just, that's Rick Wiles talking crazy again. Well, now we have, we have the former chief security officer of Twitter saying, I was fired when I revealed that there was a Chinese spy on the payroll. He should have been promoted, should have been given a pay raise. But he was shown the door because he found something he wasn't supposed to see. A hidden spy. Right. And All this deplatforming that's taking place is being directed by China. And the little Democrats, the leftists in America are their little stooges that are carrying it out. But the Chinese have their men inside the American corporations. Well, um, we actually have a couple of clips of his testimony. There's a lot of other information he revealed, too, um, that uh, we, we can share here with you. Uh, this first one is um, Mr. Zatko, uh, Peter Zatko, uh, makes the claim that Twitter is uh, intentionally... Not accidentally, not, you know, unpurposely, but intentionally misleading the public on its operations and its influence peddling. So let's watch this. Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, members of the committee, I appear before you today to answer questions about information I submitted in written disclosures about cybersecurity concerns I observed while working at Twitter. My name is Peter Zatko, but I'm more often referred to by my online handle as Mudge. For 30 years, my mission has been to make the world better by making it more secure. From November 2020 until January 2022, I was a member of Twitter's executive team. In my role, I was responsible for information security, 
privacy engineering, physical security, information technology, and Twitter global support. I'm here today because Twitter leadership is misleading the public, lawmakers, regulators, and even its own board of directors. What I discovered when I joined Twitter was that this enormously influential company was over a decade behind industry security standards. The company's cybersecurity failures make it vulnerable to exploitation, causing real harm to real people. And when an influential media platform can be compromised by teenagers, thieves, and spies, and the company repeatedly creates security problems on their own, this is a big deal for all of us. When I brought concrete evidence of these fundamental problems to the executive team and repeatedly sounded the alarm of the real risks associated with them, and these were problems brought to me by the engineers and employees of the company themselves, the executive team chose instead to mislead its board, shareholders, lawmakers, and the public instead of addressing them. This leads to two obvious questions. Why did they do that? And what were the problems and vulnerabilities identified? And that's what I'm here to talk about. Well, his testimony couldn't come at a better time for Elon Musk. Right. He's Back trying to get out of that deal. In uh, the story today, of course, shareholders voted to accept the Musk uh, offer. Even that he doesn't want That to. he didn't want anymore right. because... He's, found, told, he's finding out the truth about the company. And uh, we did the story yesterday. We talked about 60 to 80 percent of, you know, uh, possible users are actually bots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so now. So why hasn't the Security and Exchange Commission opened an investigation into Twitter's uh, financial filings with the SEC? That's a great question. And now, you know, it's, it adds, adds to the explanation why Jack Dorsey left. Because he saw this train coming down the tracks, and he was not going to be on that train. Mm -hmm. So, Now, uh, Mr. Zatko uh, went on in his testimony to talk about some of the vulnerabilities that are uh, involved with uh, Twitter. And this should be a wake-up call for anyone uh, that either uses the platform or uh, if your portfolio has stock in Twitter. I don't know a lot of uh, people's. Uh, retirement accounts have a little bit of tech in it. Mm -hmm. So this could impact not just Twitter, but a whole bunch of other social media outlets. Let's watch this other clip here. So first, why did they do that? To put it bluntly, Twitter leadership ignored its, ignored its engineers because key parts of leadership lacked the competency to understand the scope of the problem. But more importantly, their executive incentives led them to prioritize profits over security. Upton Sinclair famously said, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. This mentality is exactly what I saw at the executive level at Twitter. So what are the problems I discovered? Two basic issues. First, they don't know what data they have, where it lives, or where it came from, and so, unsurprisingly, they can't protect it. And this leads to the second problem, which is the employees then have to have too much access to too much data and to too many systems. 
You can think of it this way, which is it doesn't matter who has keys if you don't have any locks on the doors. And this kind of vulnerability is not in the abstract. It's not far-fetched to say that employee inside the company could take over the accounts of all of the senators in this room. Given to the real harm, given the real harm to users and national security, I determined it was necessary to take on the personal and professional risk to myself and to my family of becoming a whistleblower. I did not make my whistleblower disclosures out of spite or to harm Twitter. Far from that, I continue to believe in the mission of the company and root for its success. But that success can only happen if the privacy and security of Twitter's users and the public are protected. In accepting an executive position at Twitter, I made a personal commitment to Mr. Dorsey, the board, the greater public, and myself that I would drive the changes needed at Twitter to protect the users, the platform, and democracy. Well, Twitter has a big public relations problem right now. Huge. I mean, you know, th this was the chief security officer, and he's saying that Twitter is wide open. Yeah, why don't they just change the name to Botter? <laughs> because it's, it's basically a bunch of computer bots, and you've got Chinese communist spies. They've, he also alluded that there are spies from other countries working at Twitter. Yes. So how many of these in social media companies are employing intelligence officers? Not, not only can they censor Americans, but they're gathering private data on Americans. And that's one of the points he made in that, Rick, uh, that everyone's personal information was susceptible to being lifted out. I mean, th there was no security. And when he comes along and tries to tell you, tell the company and the board of directors, you know, uh, we've got some big security holes here. What does the board do? Well, rather than try to deal with it, try to get rid of the bots, try to plug up the security holes, they fire the guy. Well, Doc, uh, for board, they violated their duties of care. Right, which is a violation of the, with the yes. SEC. yes. So the board now is, uh, the company is now vulnerable to uh, lawsuits from shareholders and from uh, employees and uh, from users. And it puts Elon Musk in a position, too. He can sue Twitter now oh, yeah. because they falsified information yes. in the negotiations in the, uh, you know, lead up to right. him possibly uh, purchasing Twitter. I think he'll eventually buy it for pennies on the dollar. <laughs> Uh, and then just rebuild the whole thing. Uh, but the truth is coming out about social media. Facebook is declining. It's it's a thing of the past. It's so it's so yesterday. Facebook's going to be gone. Uh, Twitter is is unraveling. Are you, more people are recognizing it's it's just a propaganda operation. Right. Millions of bots. Um, you know, YouTube. Uh, YouTube has been sanitized so much, almost all political speech is gone. Yes. Except for the left. I don't know anybody that says, hey, did you see this uh, video on YouTube? Nobody. Nobody. It's, that's like 
two years ago. It's like your grandfather's social media yes. now, right? Yeah. So We were in the first wave of get, being censored, but since then, they just censored just about everybody. Right. A- anybody who was not, what, speaking the party line. Which party? The Communist Party. Yes. Okay? Especially about vaccines. And, and, and so the truth is coming out, and more people are seeing what it is and realizing this is just one big, massive propaganda operation. And this is actually a good thing. It means the fight goes on. We're every day that we wake up and, you know, there's, there's breath in our lungs and we're able to function. We have one more day to fight. Right. And now there are other platforms. You know, the left said, well, if you don't like our platforms, build your own. And so, the, the, you know, the they right are. did. And then after they did, the left tries to take those platforms down. They try to take them down. But there is, there's, there's Gab, there's Getter. Uh, even Parler is still around. Um, Truth Social, which right. they've done everything they can to, to, to derail Truth Social. Rumble is doing extremely well. It just got a massive infusion of cash from investors. Right. There's DLive, there's Odyssey, there's there's alternatives. There's places uh, to get a message out. Eventually, though, we know those are going to get infiltrated at some point, too, and there's going to be that churn Mm -hmm. uh, at some point in the future. And so, but obviously the demand for social interaction online is still astronomically high people want that connection even though in a lot of ways engaging in social media makes you unsocial that's right in the real world yeah two two announcements uh before we we close up here today um number one um um our tour to jordan is sold out um praise god we're very very grateful we're excited about it uh, but there are no more seats left we are however working every day throughout this week we have we have been working to get more uh, we have to get uh, we have to get seats on the airline uh, we have to get hotel rooms right and we have to get bus seats and we have to get all this lined up and then we have to know how many people how many people uh, want to go in addition to the 48 that we already have right and so we have a waiting list and if if you're if you're serious about it and you would like to go in November, uh, please email us at info at truenews.com and just say, put me on the, the waiting list. I am interested. Uh, if you get more uh, seats, uh, please contact me right away. Right, because you know, registration right now is closed, so yeah. you can't go to our website and try to register. So if you're interested in being on that waiting list, it's important that you let us know within the next week or two weeks here. I don't put it off. Let us know now. Email us at info at truenews.com. Yeah. Uh, tourism in the Holy Land is back to its pre-COVID level. I just saw that article a couple of days ago, and that's what's making it very difficult for us to get additional plane seats and hotel rooms because there's a flood of tourists. That's why our price was so low, because we negotiated it just before the dam broke right. with tourists, tourists coming back to the to the Holy Land, and so we get great rates of well, it was twenty nine fifty. Most tours to the Holy Land are in the forty five hundred five thousand dollar range. So, but we are working. If you are interested, email us at info at truenews.com. 
And the second announcement is the greatest reset movie will be released this Saturday. So, um, yay! Hallelujah! <laughs> Finally, a lot. Oh, I could write a book on what we've been through. Uh, how many gray hairs do I have extra that wasn't here before we started this film? It's been an enormous amount of stress. Okay, a lot of opposition to getting that film out. Things I can't talk about. I just can't talk about it. And it's all there is to it. So um, I, I wish I could, but I can't. And it really doesn't matter. It's it's coming out because we won. Yes. All right. We defeated. We defeated the opposition. We we persisted. We persevered. This is the this is the 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 testimony of Christian faith. Never, never, never stop. Just keep going, even if you're making the slowest progress. My view is, I'm, even when I'm going slow, if I had moved an inch, I'm one inch ahead than where I was yesterday. Right. If I have to press in against the strongest wind, if I just move a foot, I'm one foot further towards my goal than I was yesterday. Never give up, never quit, never back down. The film will be released this Saturday. And, and we did it the right way. We did it the right way, and we did it the legal way. Yes. We didn't cut corners, and we just, we did it the professional way. It's done. So um, we'll be talking about it uh, throughout this week, and we'll give you the details about how you can watch it. That's it. See you tomorrow. God bless. God bless you.